0: So today, we are continuing in our Proverbs series. We're going to actually continue in chapter 3 with the next few verses, verses 9 through 12. And all week long, I've just been praying and, and anticipating this moment and asking that God would bless this word, that he would make this a word that is extremely practical and applicable. And I feel like that's what I've been Gaining throughout this series, this practical wisdom that applies to our daily lives, right? Because I'm sure you recognize this. Each and every day, you're just bombarded with decisions, right? There's so many things coming our way that we have to think about, we have to choose, we have to decide on, right? And so we have to make all these decisions. And so often we're left wondering, we're questioning, which is the right one? Which is the right choice to make? What's the right direction to go, right? And so what do we do? We lean into God's wisdom, right? We have to, because God is the source of all wisdom and strength. So, so every day we're, we're making these decisions, and sometimes in, in life, in our lives, there are weightier decisions, much heavier decisions that we make, right? Maybe some of you right now are in a season where you're having to make a difficult decision or you're searching for wisdom on what to do. I was thinking about some students right now, maybe you've started or you're going to start school, you're, you're making decisions about your future, you know, how, how are you going to study? What are your practices going to be? What is your major going to be? All these things, right? Big decisions. I was also thinking about, you know, work. Every day you've got decisions. Maybe some of you have new opportunities coming in work. Maybe, maybe there's an opportunity to move somewhere, to do something new. So you're questioning, you're wondering what to do, right? Maybe it's more... Uh, a relational decision, right? Maybe you're in a relationship, you're wondering what step to take. Do you go to the next step? Do you step away? You know, last week Sam talked about how a couple that he counseled and the way that they made decisions was to flip a coin. I do not recommend that. I think that is terrible, a terrible idea. There's no wisdom there. If you, if you need wisdom, speak to a pastor or talk to God first and foremost. <laughs> so there's all these decisions that we have to make. And we lean into God's wisdom. Pastor Sam shared this incredible wisdom last week. There was one thing in particular that I thought was so, so powerful and profound that I want to bring it back to you today. Especially if you weren't here, you missed it. It's this quote he said, that God is in the character-forming business, not the circumstance-shaping business. Now those words just really hit home for me because... This is what life is about, right? We're, we're making decisions daily that impact um, our character, right? Who we are, what we do. And this is the business that God is in. So I gained that wisdom. And all through the week, I've been praying, I've been studying, and I've been listening to different sermons. And one, one preacher, one sermon I listened to, he shared this bit of wisdom that I want to share with you today because I, I want to couple it with this wisdom from Pastor Sam. This is a principle for life. He says... Who before do, why before what? Who before do, why before what? So often, we want God to show us what to do, right? I don't know about you and your life, but there's been times where I've really been praying and wanting a very clear and just 100% crystal clear answer from God, and I didn't get it. And it's, it's difficult, right? I don't know if you've experienced that, but he doesn't always respond that way. He absolutely can, and he does. But in my life, I've, I've had to just seek wisdom and seek counsel. And so it's, this is this practical wisdom for us today. Our part in this process is to focus on becoming who God has called us to be. This is the character formation business that Pastor Sam was talking about. I say, if we are intentional in the time and the energy that we put into becoming more like Christ, then we're going to make decisions that reflect his character. Now, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, there's this beautiful set of words. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit because I like this. It, It says, basically, by beholding, we become changed. Right, So as we, as we behold Christ, the beauty of his character, as we seek him, as we search for him, as we lean into him, we become more like him. We become changed into his likeness. So this saying, who before do, why before what, I think is practical for us. Because if we're becoming the right who, then we'll know better what we are to do. And if we live with the right why, then we'll be able to discern The right what? Now maybe you've heard this name, Simon Sinek. He's a British American author. He's a a motivational speaker. You've maybe seen one of his TED Talks, but he's really, he's become famous for his books on the one that I've read and really was inspired by is called Start With Why, right? So he, a lot of times he's writing to leaders and organizations, big corporations, right? And he's giving them practical wisdom for how how to move forward. I'm going to change a little bit of what he says to make it more practical for us today. So essentially he says, these are my words, that every person knows what they do, but not every person knows why they do it, right? The deeper and the more intentional work is to know the why behind what you do and the decisions that you make. If you start with why and you know what your why is, then you're moving from a place of purpose and intention rather than moving towards outcomes and results, right? He says this in his book, Start With Why, he says, working hard for something that we don't care about is called stress. Working hard for something we love is called passion. Right, you can see the difference there, right? If you know your why, then there is meaning and there is purpose in all that you do. It's not a stressful or painful day in and day out grind. It's purposeful and it's meaningful. And I think that's what we all want, right? We want purpose. We want meaning. We want abundance in our lives. We want lives of plenty. We don't want to have pain. We don't want to deal with stress, right? But our text today it leads us into this realm of extremes, times of plenty and times of pain. It's going to talk about a life of purpose and meaning that is full, that is plenty. And how a life of stress or one that is aimless and purposeless is a life that can be painful and hard. So let's look at the wisdom that this scripture has for us today. I'm going to be starting in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. In other versions, it says, your barns will be filled with plenty. It continues in verse 11. It says, my child, do not reject the Lord's discipline, and do not be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those that he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So let's work with this passage a little bit. I want to talk to you first about this very first word, honor, right? It begins, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. The Hebrew word here for honor, it can also be translated as heavy or weighty, right? And this is referring to a heaviness that's not like burdensome. It's not a a painful heaviness. It's actually talking more about power and prestige, it's, a, it's that type of heaviness, right? So in our culture, we so often, we, we use these terms for uh, being wealthy, having money, right? It communicates power and esteem and rank and prestige. Unfortunately, what is so often the case is that when we have those things, we honor ourselves, First, with our money, right? If you if you know anybody, or I'm not the same. I'm assuming this is you, but sometimes you get a bonus or you get a little extra, and you think, great, what am I going to do with it? What am I going to buy, right? I think that's typical. That's that's sometimes that's the culture we live in, right? Me first, God second or third or fourth, right? But this wisdom it changes us. The wisdom of these words says to make God famous and prominent with your money, by means of your wealth. Another way of saying that is to say, use your money to increase the heaviness or the prestige of God in the world today. You know, the Hebrew language, it has a lot of little nuances. And I think that's probably why I didn't do that well when I studied Hebrew. It's just really complex. So the same word honor, it can be translated as glory. And I think when we think about everything we have, all of our wealth, all our finances, all, the, all of these things have the ability to bring honor and glory to God. But what does that look like? How, does our, how do we use our money to bring honor and glory to God? Let's look, about, let's look at this text. I want to share three different points from these two verses, and then we'll work with the final two. In the New Living Translation, it says this, honor the Lord with your wealth. But when you look at the New American Standard Bible, and there's a couple other translations, they just, there's a tiny shift, and they say, honor the Lord from your wealth. So there's a little, there's a subtle difference there, right? And what difference does that make? Here's what I think. I think we can honor the Lord with our wealth, by managing our money well, by by paying our bills on time, by doing nice things for people, taking care of our family, right? These are good things. It's using our money for good, right? Not doing bad things with our money. That honors God. But the thing is, is we can do all of that. We can honor God with our money without ever giving a dime of it away, right? The difference here is that when we honor the Lord from our wealth, that means we give him a portion of it. We, we give him a cut of what we get. We give him part of our money when it comes in to us. For his sake and for his glory. And the second point leads us right into that. The next part of the verse, it says, Honor the Lord with wealth, with the best part of everything you produce. Other versions say, with the first fruits of all you produce. Now the first fruits, these are are the prime picks, right? These are the choice fruits, the best of the best. This is what it's talking about. The very best. Exodus 23, 19, it illustrates this thing. It says, the best of the fruits, the first fruits of your ground, you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So how do we honor the Lord from our wealth? By giving him our first and our best. That's talking about priority, right? That means when we get paid, he gets the first cut. He's at the forefront of our budget. When we receive We give back to God first and foremost. And in doing so, we honor God and we glorify God from our wealth. The third point, it goes right along with this. It says that we truly honor the Lord from our wealth when we calculate, when we give back from all we have, from our gross, not our net income. The verse says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. So, we can dishonor God by not giving him anything, but we can also dishonor God by giving him our leftovers, right? The afterthought. This scripture tells us that we honor God when we give him our first and our best, the foremost of everything we have and we receive. Then it says, here's the, here's the beauty in this the blessing. It says, then he will fill your barns with grain. And your vats will overflow with good wine. Isn't that a beautiful picture of abundance and plenty? That's the promise that God is saying. He's saying, you do this and I will do this for you. Now, remember I said earlier, I was a little hesitant about speaking on this topic. And I think also there's another reason behind that. And that's because I looked at both weeks and I saw the verses. And obviously I'm gonna lean into my favorite one. But the, the other part of this is that I didn't really want to talk about money here. I don't, I don't, want, I've never actually preached a sermon on money. I don't really like asking you for money. And I certainly don't feel like I have any right or um, any reason why I should tell you how to manage your money or what to do with your money, right? So there's like this uneasiness. So I'm like, ah, I don't want to talk about money. But as I studied, I realized. There is tremendous importance in talking about this, in this topic, right? And I think there truly is somebody that needs to hear this message here today or online, right? Wherever you are, this message is important. And I'll share just a few statistics with you. The scriptures talk about money way more than you may think, right? The Bible offers, you know, like roughly 500 verses on prayer. There's about 500 verses on faith. These are Know, capstones of our, our spiritual journey, our spiritual lives, right? The Bible has 2,000 verses about money, right? Even when Jesus taught, 15% of everything he taught was on the topic of money and possessions. That's more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined, right? So there is good reason for us to spend a little time talking about money here today. But that's not the only topic that this passage actually deals with, right? So I'm going to leave that one now and move into the next one, which I think is even harder. It's a little dicier territory because now we're going to talk about pain and rebuke and discipline, right? Those, those things are like, oh, I don't want to do that. So there's wisdom in plenty and there's wisdom in pain, right? These verses are talking about these two different extremes of life. In verses 11 and 12, it says, My child, do not reject the Lord's discipline, do not be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those that he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. You know, whenever I'm corrected, disciplined, or rebuked, I have a tendency to feel pretty small. I feel worthless in some way, right? Because so often discipline, correction, it comes with this negative connotation. It's, it seems like it's wrong, right? You did bad, don't do that. Shame on you, right? So discipline in, in my life is, I've always carried that sense of, oh, I, I'm bad, I did wrong, right? All of these things so often leave us feeling somewhat worthless. But I want you to pay attention to the tenderness in these words. Jesus, in God, he says, my child... I'm correcting you because I love you, right? This is not a harsh rebuke. This, in my my opinion, is a gentle correction, right? I think there is some really important and practical wisdom in these two verses. I want to just give two quick points. I know you're like, more points? Wrap it up, Rhinus. I will. We're getting there. Don't worry. The first point is this. When you are suffering, that is not evidence against you. Right? That does not mean that you have done wrong, that you are bad, or that you are being punished. Forget that, all right? Please don't think that. Don't think that if you are suffering, that you're being punished, that God is upset with you, that he's, done, he, he's mad at you. Your sufferings are proof that God the Father loves you, that he cherishes you, and that he is actually work at work in you to perfect you. Right? He's working in you. He is treating you as a child, a son and daughter of the Most High God. So if you are in Christ and you are suffering, God is not mad at you. God does not hate you. If he did, he wouldn't bother with you. He definitely would not have sent his one and only son to suffer and to die in your place on your behalf. Those things that he did are a result of the tremendous love and affection he has for you. And they prove that you are a child of destiny. That you are a child of greatness. That you are a child whose life has been paid for and redeemed. And is now being prepared for a greater glory that is to come. So the second point. This is the final point deals with our response to suffering. How do we respond in suffering? And the wisdom here reveals that it's a pathway that is twofold, all right? First, we must accept it and we must endure it. Acceptance and endurance. We must patiently wait for God to fulfill his purpose through our suffering. The problem is That's really hard to do, right? Nobody wants to accept suffering and endure suffering. I think if you've ever suffered or you're suffering right now, you know that your response is probably the exact opposite of that, right? You don't want to accept it. You want to reject it. And you don't want to endure it. You want to get away from it, right? You want to flee. It's the opposite. We want to have nothing to do with suffering because it hurts. But the Bible tells us otherwise, Hebrews 12, 11, it speaks directly to this. It says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, but afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Wow, such a powerful verse, right? Did you notice there's that word trained in there? In the Greek, that's the Greek word "gymnazo," And we get our word gymnasium from that word, right? So you know what happens in a gymnasium, right? It's like a pain cave. You go in there and you do hard work, you're working out, you're breaking your muscles down. It is painful to some degree, right? It's a place of training and discipline. Now I'm looking around and I'm seeing a lot of really great looking people. I see fit people, so I know for sure that you know what it's like to train, to work out, to feel those muscles breaking down, to have that soreness and tenderness, right? And this week, my buddy Isai and I, we've been like, lamenting with one another because he's been doing this high-intensity interval training workouts, and he's, like, been miserable all week. And I, I like to try and be very active, but I'm focused a lot more on, like, cardiovascular health, so um, not lifting weights as much. And my boys the other day, they said, Daddy, we want to go to the gym. We want to work out. So we have this little gym in our complex, and we go there, work out. And I'm just like miserable the rest of the week. My muscles hurt so bad. Every fiber of my being is hurting, right? And the other night I was putting my boys to bed, and my two year old Maverick, he's like 25 pounds maybe, he leans over me with his precious, beautiful, knife like elbow and puts it right into my chest, and I just about break down and start crying. It hurts so bad, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh. But you've heard this saying, I'm sure no pain. No gain, right? If you're training and you're in discipline, if you're suffering, there's no gain without going through some pain, right? Another buddy of mine, he would use this saying to refer to training. He would say, train insane or remain the same. It's deep, right? So good. So no training comes without a certain degree of pain, even when you look at gold, right, it's purified in the fire. It's that intense heat, that pressure that purifies it. So we are perfected and we are trained as we go through our trials. So what is our pathway through suffering? It's to accept it and it's to endure it. We know it's going to be hard. We know it's going to be painful. But here is the beauty of it. Jesus knows that too. Jesus Went through it. This is what he says in Hebrews. This is what we read in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It tells us, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Amen. Jesus knows about suffering. He knows about pain because he accepted it and he endured it on our behalf for us. He can relate to whatever you're going through, whatever you've been through. And he has made a way for each of us to come boldly into the throne room of God and to receive this grace, this incredible mercy, this help in our times of need. Accepting and enduring suffering, it does not mean loneliness and isolation, right? Because we have a great God who went through it for us and promises to go through it with us because there is something greater ahead of us. In Romans 8.18, Paul says this about suffering. He says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. So let us accept our present sufferings. Let us endure them with the knowledge that God loves us and he is preparing us for something so much greater. Would you pray with me? Great God, we are so thankful for your sacrifice, for the way that you accepted and you suffered and you endured all these things on our behalf for us so that we might live with the knowledge that you are with us, that you have made a way for us and that everything we go through, every trial, every suffering, everything we face is all for a greater purpose, this greater glory that will be revealed to us. God, we thank you. We ask that as we we are given great things as we receive, Lord, that we would also remember to put you first. First and foremost, the first fruits of our labor, Lord, may we honor you, may we glorify you with everything we have and everything we receive. God, you are so worthy. You are so great. And we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.